to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip in a car stuff that has caught our eye this week. I'm James, and with me is Tom. Yo. And for the first time, one of Cars Guide's news gurus, Justin. Welcome. Hello. Good to be here. Great. And, um, this week, we're looking at the youth that everyone's been talking about, and now we can take a look at it uh, virtually. <laughs> we'll catch up with a trio of cars that have occupied the Cars Guide garage this week, and we'll also catch up with the meme meister himself in this week's Muskwatch, so stay with us. But first of all, we've had lots of feedback, and a lot of it was around the Jimny Ute that has been produced in New Zealand, basically people stamping their feet and demanding that it happen for Australia. Um, Wax333, who is more or less our Kiwi correspondent, he, he is a, a proud Kiwi man, and he has said, the Jimny Ute was made by West City Auto Group in Auckland, New Zealand, listed for sale for 38K, not cheap. They're a Suzuki dealership. And so people watching on YouTube, you'll be able to see some of the images that we used in our news story, but also showing it located there at um, in Auckland. And AI357 uh, clarified, we were talking about the Maori pronunciation of Wanganui, which is where Suzuki New Zealand is based. And he says, look, FYI, Maori pronunciation varies by area. And on the west coast of the North Island, Wanganui is pronounced with the W as in whistle, rather than the F sound. So closer to the expected way. Thank you very much, AI357, for that clarification. Um, well, you know. Now, Hammer Rocks, says that Suzuki Jimny Ute is the modern-day Suzuki Sierra Stockman. Love it. So good on him. And Dad, by four, says we want the soft box, we want the soft back. No, we want the soft top back too. <laughs> Sorry about that. Now, Andrew Gordon chimed in saying Australia wants this. So he's speaking on behalf of the entire nation, saying that we all want that car. David Burt says... Come on, that Jimny Ute from New Zealand should be the Mighty Bro. It's choice, because I said it should be called the Mighty Boy. And he has said it's the Mighty Bro. And I said, look, you get all the stars, cars, because that is genius. I think it should be called the Mighty Bro. <laughs> um, now, Harry Cheng said Suzuki Jimnys are still bloody expensive. $8,000 for an almost 20-year-old model, but the reliability comes with a high price, I guess, to which our own very, very own Matt Campbell said, yeah, Harry, I got my 2007 model for a steal. It's worth double what I paid on the open market, maybe even more. I told my partner it was an investment. Nice, says Harry Cheng. Mind telling me how much it was. So we're going to actually try and get Matt Campbell <laughs> on feedback. the line. Yeah. Um, and let me just see if I can dial him in. There he is. Yeah, I think so. There he is. Hello. Hello. Matt. Matt. Hello, Matt. Hello. There he is. Thank you for joining us. Now, the burning question, when Harry Cheng asked mm -hmm. us how much you had paid for your 2007 Jimny, uh, the silence was deafening. Is this something you're wanting to keep under your cap it or was can you share with us? Yeah, it was intentionally quiet. Um, I didn't, didn't want to give anything away um but let's just say that it was a four digit number that started with a four so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i got away with the bargain fantastic now look while we have you there matt yeah. john ballard i'm not sure whether he's a member of your extended family but he <laughs> says 
I will watch anything with Matt Campbell in it. Very wise guy when it comes to cars, etc. And that's John yeah. in New Zealand. Now, what's your what's your feedback? I know you went back to him in the comments on YouTube. Yeah, so um, I I was very curious as to what cars etc. meant because um, <laughs> my my knowledge is very limited to cars. So <laughs> um, I appreciate yes. his vote of confidence, but. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to hear that uh, people around the world are watching what we're doing and uh, giving us this feedback. It's great to hear. Matt Good. Campbell, right, New Matt. Zealand fan club. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you it exists. To, you have to send them some merch. <laughs> okay. But Matt Campbell Thanks merch, heaps. not necessarily Cars Guys. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. We'll see you see again you. soon. See you, guys. See okay. Ya. Now, just to continue on with the feedback, Ian Thomas says, great show, boys. Just one question. How long the social distancing? One, two, three, or even six months? Um, who knows? We're all in the same basket there, Ian. Um, it's very hard to say, isn't it? But uh, we're happy to be continuing on with the podcast, that's for sure. He did say James needs to adjust his camera higher. We seem to be looking up your nostrils. So uh, <laughs> thank you, Ian. I've changed that. And I also did, you know, trim and just make sure I was properly groomed just in case the angle was incorrect. Um, look forward to the next... You to that. <laughs> there could be. Uh, and he says he looks forward to the next tool. So here we are. Thank you for that. Teo Ryu, and I think, I did a bit of research here, Ryu is a Street Fighter character. So either this person has been named after a Street Fighter character or the Street Fighter character was named after them or I've just got it completely wrong. Anyway... He has said, would love to hear your guys' thoughts on the all-new 2020 Elantra. Um, wonder what you guys think of the design and the fully refreshed Genesis G80, which, of course, is launching at the end of this month. Uh, we would have been going to experience that car. And, in fact, Teo Ryu says it's a bit of a shame that we won't be going to Korea. And, of course, he's right. Now, Justin, I know you wrote a news bit on the i30 sedan. Um, but before we get to that, Resonance did respond to Teo and said uh, he thought it was generic and lame, which which is putting it out there. He thinks uh, that's where the i30 sedan is. Um, for my two bobs, I think it's amazing. It's such a complicated design. What are your thoughts, Justin? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I know you mentioned it just then as well. Obviously, up until now, it's been Elantra in Australia and in many other markets as well. But um, Australia is finally getting its wish. And now with this new generation model, it'll be known as the i30 sedan to match up with, of course, the i30 hatch that we've uh, come to know and love. But um, yeah, it's definitely a radical design. And, and particularly from an Australian context, uh, by calling it i30, it looks nothing like the i30 hatch whatsoever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hyundai's new design language, obviously debuting on it. So um, it's quite out there. And if, for those that aren't familiar with the new Sonata that's been revealed overseas, but not on sale in Australia yet, um, that has the same design language. Um, but yeah, it's definitely quite edgy, parametric uh, design, you know, I think is what they call it. But it's a lot of lines meeting in a lot of places. And uh, yeah, it's definitely yeah. polarizing in one word, that's for sure. Pa parametric dynamics and sensuous yeah. sportiness. Yeah, that's, that's a new eye in jargon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. That's the new terms for the design language. And uh, look, it's certainly distinctive. Um, that's for sure. I like the rear end of the car. I don't think that looks too mm. bad. The, mm. the front with the latest interpretation of Hyundai's signature cascading grille is uh, it's mouthy. It's wide. Yeah, it's not to my taste personally. 
I think the interior, right. though, is quite good. Yeah. Tom? Uh, it's got a driver focus, which is nice. I think it uh, was actually previewed uh, quite significantly by the updated Elantra, which we currently have, because um, that was quite an extreme facelift. Like with all the yeah. angles coming in, it's kind of it's got a lot of that language already kind of cooked into it. Um, I, I thought I was actually quite a fan of it uh, after spending a week with it. When we all first saw the pictures, we were like, "Whoa, what's going on there?" Um, but I think yeah. you know, once you see it in your driveway after a couple of days, it's sort of like, okay, it's you know, it's cool, it's different, it's very angular, it stands out on the road. Um, yes, and you know, I I think uh, he and I is doing a lot of good things at the moment. So um, it'll be nice to see what it's like on the inside and what it actually feels like because the current car does feel like a face uh, like what it is a facelifted version of the uh, last one. So yeah, um, the the one thing I would say is that very complicated treatment down the sides of the car that's fairly expensive from a panel pressing point of view. So to design mm. that into the car. It's a big statement, I think, from Hyundai to invest in it because typically that kind of more complex stuff is for premium models. You think about Lexus and what have you, they've gone yeah. very angular. To get your shut lines right when you're making that many intersecting angles is tricky and takes a lot more investment. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a design statement, that car. I mean, it's going to stand yeah. out from a crowd. I mean, small sedans often are quite generic in the way they look and, you know, aren't all that remarkable. And this is certainly going in the complete opposite direction. We can argue yeah. whether it's right or wrong, but, uh, you know, Hyundai is certainly trying. Do you want to argue that now? You, what are you saying, mate? Do you want to have an argument? <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like you're on the affirmative and I'm on the uh, negative for this one. I, I don't like it personally. But again, but as I with anything, it's all very well and good to judge it on the photos, but until we actually see it in the metal, you know, that can change yeah. everything. So many cars transform in that way. Um, uh, thinking back to the uh, GLB, when that when the images of that first kind of dropped, people were like, oh, I don't know, it's a, bit, it's a bit frumpy, it's a bit unresolved, but seeing it in the flesh, it, it looks amazing. So it, yeah. it, that's very true. I wonder whether we could find greater unanimity on the G80 because I actually think that thing looks incredible. I think it's, it's amazing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It looks fantastic. Even the GV80, the uh, SUV, um, I think Genesis is hitting out of the park with their latest uh, design language. Uh, maybe the G90 that we don't see in Australia, not so much. That's pretty polarising right. from the front end. But definitely the 80 series models, I think, uh, are quite good looking. The yeah, way that uh, indicator wraps around from, you know, the front clip more or less through the front wheel arch and around to the side of the car Again, that's that's not cheap to do. And I, if I was a, a smash repairer, I'd be thinking, uh, how on earth I put it back together? But it looks incredible. Yeah, no, absolutely. They've they've definitely taken a risk like Hyundai has with the Elantra. Um, but I think in Genesis' case, again, from my opinion, uh, it is paying off a lot better. Cool. Look, the, the other um, big batch of feedback we had was around the Focus Ute, which we touched on the week prior in the podcast. And HSV Commodore, who's a regular commenter, we've been trying to decipher what he had to say about it. And he actually said that he'd um, uh, slipped up with a typo and wanted to say that it looked amazing. I think he, what he'd say was A-aging, and we didn't know what that meant. But he said it was amazing, and he thinks he was the only one who liked the rendering but it was his bad and says cheers. So there you go. That was uh, balancing the scale somewhat. Um, 
Millen Rogers says, it, for me, it's quite sad to see that no one's buying the Focus anymore. Obviously, a bit of a fan. Uh, my opinion, the Focus is one of the best mainstream hatchbacks. Uh, what I think puts people off the Focus is that it's a Ford. It's like people f see Ford as just normal, and Mazda is more premium, for example. Um, he says, I know I'm being a typical Ford fanboy, but I really do feel sorry for the amount of uh, crap Ford gets sometimes. Fingers crossed they still sell a decent amount of focuses here to keep them in Australia, unlike the US. Um, so that's a fair point, I think. And De Cook jumped in and said, fully agree. Uh, there's much more to the focus. And he also called out the fact that the power shift, you know, um, debacle caused the major ramifications over a long period of time. That's very true. Um, I love the design of the new Focus. I, I think it's a great car. I, I think it drives and handles really well as well. But I think maybe it's not so much the Ford badge that's turning people off. It's the tall pricing, even for the entry variant. Um, you know, it's just yeah, it's a tall order for what you get, unfortunately. And uh, that's just a reality of what it's like to bring cars to Australia at the moment. I think. Yes. Well, I think the uh, Focus is uh, a really uh, great well, drive. Is a really great drive, like you said, Tom. But uh, in terms of that mainstream versus premium, obviously Mazda's hitting out of the park with their interior quality at the moment. They feel very luxurious, but the Focus is, is pretty drab inside, you know, lots of hard plastics. It's not particularly appealing um, for the price point, I don't think. But in terms of driving, absolutely. But uh, perhaps some people are being let down when they actually get into the uh, driver's seat and, and have a look around. Yeah. I mean, we've we've got the ST coming up um, very shortly, which may inject some extra interest. But uh, so far, Ducook was wondering, you know, if there are enough sales to keep it on the boil here. Um, and I did have a look, and it's about 50% down so far uh, this year, year on year, the focus. So it does mm -hmm. need something to, to get its heart rate up a bit. The one thing I'd say about the ST, though, is much like Fiesta, Ford's moved away from selling the regular fiesta if you will but they are going to sell the fiesta st so even if focus were to disappear you would hope that focus st wouldn't for the very same reason yeah. yes yes now uh james dutton says is it it's true there is a fiesta people mover because we were talking about the ute such a small ute what about a, a people mover and he says it's called the c max but millen rogers chipped in and said i'm pretty sure that the b max is the fiesta people mover um, that actually disappeared, I think, around 2017. Hasn't been around for a little while. The C-Max is the focus people mover. That actually left the scene last year, uh, mm. which leaves the S-Max, which is kind of Mondio-based, um, and that's that's still a current model. So thank you, James, for that reminder, and thanks, Millen, for the um, clarification. Um, now, we also mentioned de Kook just there. He said, look, also, he added, it's the sign of the times, mates. Um, Jakuk is uh, coming to live in Australia from Germany. He's been a regular correspondent. As you were recording this episode, I was jumping on literally the last plane from Germany and made it here 20 minutes before the curfew. Lots of smiley faces. Cheers from my home isolation in Potts Point. So on that note, I think I want to bring in a special correspondent. Ah. <laughs> hello. 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 Hello, Hello, how are you going? JC, Tom, Justin, yeah. everybody? Yeah. How are you doing? Great. Going for a ride. Where are you? Doing, where, where are you, Richard? I am doing well. I'm 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 looking for the cool K. Um pull over. Well, I, I went to the airport and I, I had my sign up. You can't see it's probably backwards, it says the cool K. 
Um, I missed him because I was late as usual. So now I'm now I'm at Sadi's house. I think it is anyway. Um, okay. Jacool K. Jacool K. Jacool K. Jacool K. Any sign of boot? Any sign of movement? No signs come out. Jacool K. Not Jacool K. Um, okay. Did you say oh. Dolls Point? Dolls Point? <laughs> no, po- no Potts Point. Oh, I'm a Dolls Point. I've all right. All right. You're maybe tro- next week. You are trolling and harassing someone all to get the difference. Totally. All right. Well, maybe next week I'll give it a go. I've got his sleeping bag ready to go. It's not him. Yeah. Not him. All right. Richard, I think it's Sorry the right that. time for us to sign off. Good. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've got to, I've got now, to sign out. There we go. <laughs> You've got to hang up, Richard. Now, um, TGV that we've spoken to before, which, of course, is the very fast train, has said, my advice, if you're fed up with metro dealerships, then try regional dealerships. I did that last year and got the deal that I wanted, not what the metro dealerships were trying, as in low ball on the trade-in. That's his words, not ours. Uh, price gouge, again, uh, that's TGV's view. Um, and not discounting on the dealer advertised pricing. So he went bush, really, to to get a good deal. Have either of you guys done that at some stage in the past, actually headed out of a metro area to to look for a deal? No, not personally, but I can absolutely understand why he gave it a crack. Um, obviously, a lot of dealers are, con- are concentrated in metro areas, so venturing out regional and trying your luck is, uh, is well worth it, I would say. Yeah. Actually, yeah. A, a friend of mine... Um... He was looking for something quite specific, but the more affordable ones he found uh, in Canberra, not in Sydney. So we drove to Canberra to get one. But that's the closest. Right, it must just be masses of diplomats leaving the country at at any particular (laughs) time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, now, Bartonez123 says, I wonder if we go into recession, which sadly is looking like uh, it probably will happen, would car buying preferences change? You know, for years we've been moving towards mid-size SUVs and he says that's very much the trend. Of course, he's right. But if a recession impacts people's ability to buy, even when we come out the other side of this uh, pandemic, could small cars, you know, once again be uh, in favour and the big car brands are wrong-footed because they've been moving so heavily down the mid-size SUV path, which is a fair point. I suppose it might be a bit like any other time of difficulty. People will buy what's available. And the people making uh, the cars will price them accordingly. There could be a bit of adjustment after this. Yeah, potentially. I think the thing to keep in mind, though, is particularly from an Australian context, uh, there are less options out there when it comes to small cars, be they light hatches, micro hatches, small hatches, sedans, what have you. You know, those OEMs have been pulling them out of the market because they haven't been selling recently, replacing them more or less with SUVs. So... Um, you know, if people did go back to the cheap and cheerful car, if you will, they'll probably find there aren't that many options out there. So maybe that'll drive up sales for particular brands that have hung in there and then it will hurt the ones that have pulled out. But um, yeah, it's an interesting point. It is an interesting point. And I'm actually uh, writing an update to an article that we, an advice article we have on the site, uh, you know, best brand new cars you can buy for under 20k and we, we had a few rules that we apply to that article um things like the car has to be an auto because you know the grand majority of the population now doesn't want a manual um there are literally five automakers left selling automatic brand new cars under twenty thousand wow. dollars and three three of the cars on the list are suzuki's 
Um, so, you know, your options are extremely limited. Honda's just made the decision they have to pull the Jazz from the market after deciding they couldn't build it in their tire plant and bring it here for us. Um, yep. But it is a really interesting question, you know, will that will this whole uh, financial issue now drive people back to cheaper cars? Because there has been this massive push for more expensive cars, more expensive models, cars with higher safety, cars with yep. options that are um, like literally packs or not even available overseas to be standard here. So, um, yeah, it's a really, really good question. And it'll I mean, be interesting to see what It is an happens. interesting point. I suppose, you know, General Motors, Ford, they'll all have a bit of tooling out in the shed, you know, somewhere in the back there. They could just drag back into the factory and fire it up again. Whatever, you know, resurrect something. Yeah. Yeah, potentially. Obviously, GM is pulling out of Australia or, you know, Holden is disappearing from Australia. They still have a small presence, but I, I doubt that it involve yeah. anything on a smaller nah. scale. But definitely no, no, Ford I'm, would be I'm hoping more that... Detroit-wise. Oh, okay. Definitely Ford will be hoping in Australia the focus picks up as we mentioned earlier. I think there's a degree of uh, not being able to turn back because now like all these big grand strategic decisions have been made to pull these cars from our market, which affects everything. It affects the factories they come out of. And it's also um, ANCAP now having such a high standard for safety means that your base car is so expensive because it needs to have AB. It needs to you know, classify for that five-star rating. Um, so I think there's a, a degree of not actually being able to go back to the way it was before, whether people want that or not. Yep. Yep. Got you. Very good point. And look, let's finish the feedback section on a ridiculously positive note. Um, a, we have a new friend in Russia. So Dmitry Drovokol says, good job, guys. It's about time we got a legit Aussie car podcast. Keep it up. Nice. Oh, That's yeah. good feedback from Russia. Who would have thought? <laughs> da, 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 da. Very, very good uh, feedback. So, uh, cool. So, let's um, pick up our main topic of conversation for today, which is the fact that we've been able to visualize, albeit virtually, uh, the Kia Ute that everybody's been talking about. Um, and I know Kia is just kind of walking, pacing the room backwards and forwards until it arrives. But uh, the rendering that we have got our hands on looks pretty good. Yeah, it's definitely a looker and, and something that a lot of people evidently are looking forward to. Um, it's definitely been uh, one of those cars that people are showing a lot of interest in. And, uh, you know, although it's just a render, someone's interpretation of what it could look like, it's, uh, it yeah. could be a pretty good looking thing. I think in terms of overall proportions, I did a bit of digging on um, the render comes courtesy of KKS Studio, and they call it um, naked spy shots. So what they, try and do, what they try and do is virtually peel back the camouflage that's always on these pre-production prototype cars, look mm -hmm. at the hard points that you can actually identify from the outside of the car, and then apply whatever little clues that they can see through the camo and extrapolate that out to be, well, this is what it will may look like. And according to uh, Andrew Chesto Chesterton, who wrote that story, um, there are big chunks of Chevrolet Silverado in there. So they've taken a bit of a leap um, and made it very much a US-focused kind of thing. But mm. I think the overall result, uh, we could do a lot worse than what's shown there. Uh, absolutely. And Chesto is absolutely on the money. That's exactly what I was going to say. Looking at it, there is quite a bit of Silverado, particularly about that front end 
um, and even the yeah. side as well. But, uh, you know, if it looks like that, it's going to certainly have quite a bit of presence on the road. But uh, as always, just a render. So we'll have to see what the real deal holds. I think we can all agree that it's going to look pretty impressive. Like uh, Kia's design language, every new car that comes out at the moment is an impressive looking vehicle. And uh, the same goes for Hyundai. So when their equivalent, which will no doubt be on the same platform, appears, that'll look amazing as well. Um, you know, we, we've had a crack at rendering up versions with uh, uh, grills from other Hyundai cars. And, uh, you know, the result's pretty yeah. cool. Uh, people love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... I think we're at a point where, and we've touched on this previously, but both Hyundai and Kia brands are well able, from a credibility point of view, make a, a truck. You know, the the question mark, I suppose, still lingers over some new brands coming in from China because there mm. no one no one really knows much about them. Whereas Kia and Hyundai have been able to establish themselves in the mainstream, um, solid reputation for durability now. So stepping into that commercial vehicle ute world is a completely logical next step. I think it's as soon as 2022 we could have the Kia, yeah. so you'd presume the, the Hyundai's on the same kind of uh, schedule. Yeah, I think they're both around the 22, 23 mark, so it's still, you know, potentially two years away, but, um, you know, I suspect we'll have a drip feed of information coming through to keep us excited until they finally go on sale here. And, and, Tom, I couldn't agree more in terms of the way Kias are looking. When you look at that Telluride, you know, the large um, SUV, really, if you just got the gas axe or the hacksaw and cut the front off that and then applied it to whatever kind of ute body you want to have, that would work beautifully. It's a, it's a great-looking design. It just draws your eye. Um, it's quite something. Absolutely. I'd love to have that car in Australia. I'd love to have a go of it. I think, I think it's an amazing-looking thing, and it's, it's so big. You know, it's kind of got that x7 style grandeur about it you know it's this yes. massive imposing thing that it looks amazing as well so uh, yeah. very keen to see what they come up with and um already you know kia australia is on the record as saying that it's not just going to be one version they want to have dual cab ute there'd be single cab that would be four by four four by two the whole thing they they want and and they've also confirmed that it's well down the track so yeah. uh yeah Lots of anticipation. Yeah, there's definitely some Ute models out there that are strictly available as dual caps. So to see Kia wanting to go down the path of a Toyota, as an example, or a Ford with Hilux uh, and Ranger and have that full breadth of offering um, is really encouraging. It also means the price point will be, uh, knowing Kia, pretty affordable. You get your seven-year warranty as well, we assume. So it's going to be yeah. a pretty compelling offer. And uh, Damien Meredith, who's the MD of Kia in Australia, has also said that the request, whether or not that ultimately happens, is for petrol and diesel uh, powertrain as well. So, yeah, you're right to identify Hilux because then you're talking about a really complex kind of model range um, and they'd be in boots and all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they'll have dozens of variants, potentially, if they've got petrol, diesel, automatic, manual, single cab, dual cab, space cab. Yeah. Have chassis yeah. pickup, like you know, the the uh, variants will be numerous at that point in time, which is great because buyers will then have options and, and be able to hopefully find the the perfect view for them. 
I do wonder what the um, point of bringing in petrol might be, Um, just because, you know, demand for that seems to have dropped and it doesn't seem to affect DMAX very much, just offering that single diesel drivetrain across its entire workhorse range as well as the high spec. So, I don't know. I guess maybe it's affordable for them. Yeah, perhaps what they're going for is fleets, particularly councils, as an example, you know, um, workers who would be using these cars, not for long distances, but short distances, obviously, where petrol is going to be a better option for them, um, potentially, um, in terms of cost. So not only in purchase price, but um, obviously the Bowser as well. So I think if that's what they're truly going for, absolutely everyone from A to Z, then, um, yeah, that's probably why they'd be considering petrol. True, and I suppose it's hard to say what stage we're at in terms of, okay, we want to see options for petrol and diesel, the Hyundai Group having such an enormous choice um, in that department, uh, whether or not they ultimately do flick the switch on petrol engines, time time will tell, I suppose. Mm. Well, they've got so much in their catalogue in terms of petrol and diesel engines that would work in that ute format. So um, it's not as if we assume that they would have to go in on R&D from uh, day dot on something like this. They could easily uh, design it around said engines. So it's all possible. Yep. Now, Luke, the other thing that will will make it even trickier for Kia once it does arrive into the ute market is that we've got a couple of newcomers that are going to just stir that pot even more more, uh, furiously um, in the shape of an all-new D-MAX, Isuzu D-MAX, um, and we were talking about China, but the Great Wall Canon. So we've had a little more information about the D-Max and the imagery, imagery that we've got. It looks pretty appealing as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the D-Max personally. I think the, um, the current version is obviously older and literally about to be replaced, but is incredibly capable off-road for what it is. I mean, something that's not even available with a, a rear diff locker, as an example. The new model will have that, so that's a, a nice yep. little upgrade there. Um, but, uh, yeah, certainly from the images and the information that's been released thus far, the D-Max is, is a serious bit of kit, the new one. Absolutely. Um, and, look, the, the question mark over the Great Wall Cannon is its name. Uh, yeah. that, that whether it becomes the POER... That's I'm just pronouncing that P-O-E-R. That's kind of the way it's spelt, which allegedly is a combination of power, peak, and perfection. Um, yeah. Or so I, whether I, I it can, comes um, in with the name Canon. I can shed a little light on that. Um, the logic behind that name. Um, so we did, uh, did some research into this because it has actually been released in China. And um, I looked into some documents about that car um, from the Chinese market and it, the truck has its like uh, series name is P71. And so they right. say that the, the P um, stands for those same things. So I think they're kind of, sort of right. grabbing for some way to include that logic in its name for overseas markets. But um, yeah. Yeah, I think Canon would do better here. I mean, we had this conversation in the office last week. We were all saying, oh, but, you know, it's a bit weird. I think Canon would do much better. Um, sounds cool. I think that will look cool on a badge on the back of a truck. Absolutely. Canon's a really strong name, whereas Power doesn't, yeah. even though it's <laughs> alluding to power, apparently. Well, you put the W in there if that's what you want. But um, Canon's well, just a really strong name. I think Power, as well as saying power, peak, and perfection, also says don't buy me. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> but but the the thing that's worth 
mentioning is that that Great Wall Cannon is 5.4 metres long. Like that's, that's a big truck. Um, yeah. By the time you're up at, at getting towards five and a half metres, that's, that's a very large vehicle. The, the D-Max, by the way, is a bit under 5.3. So it's, it's no shrinking violet either, but it's, it's not quite up in that um, mega size range. Yeah, it's somewhere between a dual cab, as we understand it, and something like an F one fifty, isn't it? It's it's pretty. Yeah. It, it'll be pretty imposing on the road. Um, that might yes. be enough to get people into it full stop. Like just seeing yep. something that's that big, you know, the tray will have extra length to it too. Um, it's got yep. a super long wheelbase, um, and the main concern I think uh, a lot of people are going to have is it, it's said to come with an all new two-litre diesel engine and it's going to be quite yeah. big and heavy and what what will that mean for its capacities you know both towing and payload precisely i mean i think two-litre um there'll be a question mark in some people's minds as to whether or not a two-litre turbo diesel is able to motivate such a big truck properly 120 kilowatts 400 newton meters are the, the kind of mooted uh, numbers so yeah not not exactly massive then you've got the D-Max, which will have a three-litre carrying over, as we understand it, um, from the existing car, and it's already got a terrific reputation. It's going yeah, to have I mean, even that more power. Engine is actually, from a truck, you know, and that's yeah. where it started. Um, so is that right? Okay. It's got a it's got a, a literal pedigree of being reliable and standing the test of time, hundreds of thousands of kilometres on the clock. And Australia, as far as I'm aware, is the only market in the world that actually gets that three-litre uh, engine as well. So, you know, it's a okay. pretty killer combination in the segment. One of the one of the big aces that the Great Wall will presumably have up its sleeve is the price. And, you know, we've had people from Great Wall in Australia on the record, uh, one person saying it will make a lot of people think, why am I paying this amount of money for a ute? Um, you know, when someone like Great Wall can build something to this level of comfort and capability. Now, You've got an SR5 Hilux 4x4 at around 55k uh, before you put it on the road. So you get the feeling that Great Wall is aiming uh, to fire its cannon. That's a horrendous pun. To, uh, you know, to, to get that uh, well and truly under that number, yeah? Yeah, definitely. I think something similar is the Sangyong Musso, you know, a fully kitted out Musso Ultimate as they call it, an SR5 equivalent or thereabouts, if you will, costs $40,000. So it's 15 grand less than the Hilux equivalent, um, which is pretty impressive value. So you would assume the Canon would be shooting at the very top, the flagship level for a similar mark. Yeah, good point, good point. All right, well, I think we'll leave that there. Thank you. But we're not going to leave uh, Kia as a, as a subject because we'll move to our garage and cars that we've been driving this week. And Justin, I'll start with you. It is a Kia that you've been in. Fill us in. Yeah, I've been driving the Stinger GT line this week. Um, as we all know, since the discontinuation of the Falcon and, and Commodore, although a little while ago now, the Stinger's come into frame as a affordable rear-wheel drive large sedan for the mainstream market. Um, hasn't exactly set the world on fire on the sales charts like Kia probably had hoped. Um, but at the same time, as I found out over the course of the past week, it's still a good drive. Um, okay. One interesting thing about the Stinger, of course, is one of the men behind the development of it is Albert Beerman. Um, for those who don't know, he was the former head 
of BMW's M high performance division. So he knows a thing or two about making sporty cars. Um, yep. And you can clearly feel his influence on the, the Stinger. Um, probably the best compliment I can pay it is it feels like a BMW to drive. You've got that really kind of solid feeling the second you get behind the wheel, um, which is, again, wow. one of those BMW qualities we've come to expect and, and know quite well. So he seems to have imparted that uh, onto the Stinger and other products that he's been involved with as well. But particularly the Stinger was one he was obviously heavily involved with over the course of its development that's i mean it's really it causes you to think what makes a car feel like a certain brand you know there are so many contact points on the way through from tires through suspension into the body into the actual seat you sit on the wheel yeah. you're grabbing all of that stuff for it to feel like a bmw that's a really interesting takeout from that car yeah i think the first thing as silly as it sounds is opening the door Usually with uh, Japanese or Korean cars, if I were to generalize, you would just probably describe them as a bit tinny um, when you open yep. the door. They don't feel as substantial, perhaps, as something that's European, be it German or what have you. Um, as soon as you open the Stinger's door, you get that kind of heft to it, that quality kind of feel. Um, and then you yeah, sit inside, fire it up, and um, the steering probably on the Stinger in particular is is something that, definitely has that BMW feel, although there are some tweaks made locally to suit Australian conditions. It's still got that kind of well waiting. If you flick it to the sport drive mode, it becomes too heavy, just like it does in a BMW. So um, yeah, the similarities are definitely there in a, in a number of facets with the Stinger. And GT line is twin turbo V6? No, actually, the, so we've got the GT, which is the twin-turbo V6, which is obviously the one that I believe is accounted for about 70%, if not higher, of sales um, since the Stinger came along. The GT line is the four-cylinder, single-turbo, four two-letter. Okay. Um, yep. So it was actually kind of interesting. Having driven the V6 uh, a couple of years back and knowing what that's like, I was very intrigued to see how the four-cylinder stacked up. The V6 is probably best described as being a little loose, in terms of how it performs, um, you know, there's a lot of power to deal with and for whatever reason, it's just a car that likes to shake its rear end if you give it right. too much around the corner. So I was interested okay. to see how the four-cylinder was. Obviously, different engine, lighter over the front axle as well to kind of see how that changed. And probably the big takeaway from uh, driving the four-cylinder is the way it stays planted um, versus the V6. It's definitely a bit more composed, which... Some people is a good thing, um, you know. It, it's yeah, definitely more composed. But even on the performance front, though, even though it gives up um, about 80 kilowatts of power and uh, 150 odd newton meters of torque, the performance is still really good. Um, you put your boot in, particularly in the sport mode, um, and it it goes. It really does go. Not to 100 six seconds, which is hot hatch like thereabouts. So, you know, it's not particularly sluggish. Um, but the only thing I would say is it's a $4,500 difference between four-cylinder and V6 throughout the Stinger range. It's For me personally, I'd probably spend the extra four and a half to have that extra performance from the V6. But um, those that do, the very few that do, go for the four-cylinder aren't necessarily getting cheated either. Good one. All right. Well, that's all terrific. Thank you very much. Now, Tom... We were talking about the preponderance of uh, SUVs not long ago, and sure enough, you've been in one. I've been in, well, I've been in a couple, actually. I've um, driven both uh, the all-space and the regular version of the uh, Tiguan recently, um, and 
you know, even though this car has been on market since 2017, which I guess in the grand scheme of things makes it a little old, um, it's really, it feels like it could have come out yesterday in most areas. Like it, it, it's fantastic to drive, really well composed. The interior materials are excellent. It has almost everything you want. Um, there are a few little sort of criticisms you can throw at it straight off the bat. Things like it starts at 34,490, which isn't the cheapest in terms of that mid-size category. Um, it does top out at 52 something. So even the top end is quite expensive as well. So you kind of have to shift your expectations along with the dollar figure that they wear. Um, and the only other thing that's sort of a major concern straight off the bat is the fact that to get uh, blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alert and active cruise, you do have to spend an additional $1,600 on top of that on the base yeah. two variants, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but yeah, it would, both were really interesting to drive. Um, weirdly, I found the suspension in the all space is stiffer at the back than it is in the standard car. And I drove them in equivalent specs, which was... Uh, sort of fascinating to have these little differences in them um yeah but great to drive really well specified um the suspension tune in particular even with the stiffer suspension in the back of the allspace it, it's just lovely it's so well composed in terms of a mid-sizer um without going premium it's hard to beat right fantastic that's very good thank you now i'll chip in um, and i've been driving the bmw 2 series grand coupe which is the latest in a, like a lengthening line of Grand Coupe models from BMW. They, there's this controversy about can you call a four-door car a coupe? Well, BMW believes you absolutely can because they've applied that tag to everything from SUVs through to more conventional cars. This one, the 2 Series, gives it away. It's a small uh, thing. It's actually based on the 1 Series platform. So it's um, front-wheel drive, all-wheel drive as you move to the top model. And it's 47,490 to get into a 218i, and it uses a three-cylinder uh, petrol engine that's borrowed from uh, various Mini models. And it's aimed at Merck's CLA, uh, but it's, it's appreciably cheaper, uh, about 13K cheaper than that car. And then you've got the M235i xDrive, which is just under 70 grand. And it is a rocket ship. So, you know, the M235i is the same engine as the John Cooper Works GP uh, Mini and the all-wheel drive sub 5 seconds, 0 to 100 kmh. And, you know, great dynamics, really good ride handling compromise, which is surprising in such a small car. It's a fairly short wheelbase. And that engine is just cracking. It's 225 kilowatts, uh, 400 newton metres. Um, and... The thing you can't get past, though, with this car is that it's, to be diplomatic, it's cosy, um, it's snug, it's small, is what it boils down to. Um, you, can, you can shut your eyes and try and do a Harry Potter and magic up some kind of big interior in a small car, but really, you, you just can't. The back, particularly, is very tight. It's going to be for inner-city people that want a bit of a premium car but don't have a lot of uh, room to deal with. Maybe they have some small kids, they'll be fine in the back, but anyone else will absolutely struggle. But it's beautifully finished. The attention to detail is, is really nice. And the, the gap between the two cars is just right in terms of they're both pretty well equipped, um, but the M235i really stands up as a flagship. So I liked it, but the limitation is if you need something with more size, you're going to have to step up to a, to a bigger car. The realities of its dimensions do hit home. 
I've got to say, um, what, what's interesting is a lot of those small capacity sort of semi-performance engines that are coming out of Europe at the moment are all so good. Like, you don't need two and a half litres of capacity. You don't need a straight or V6 anymore oh. to really get a kick in the guts, you know? Like, these yeah. these cars are quick, they're efficient, they're clean, you know? They're, they're pretty amazing yeah. in terms of technology. Yeah. Now, look, talking about a kick in the guts, it's time for Musk Watch. <laughs> Okay, so we'll pick up Muskwatch and um, we'll we'll get through this reasonably rapidly because I think time's against us. Now, thank you to TechCrunch. We picked up the fact that after being called out on uh, Twitter to help produce ventilators to, to get hospitals across this um, crisis when people do fall ill um, with the coronavirus, Elon has actually said that the company's fact- factory in Buffalo, New York, will open as, quote, as soon as hum- uh, humanly possible to produce ventilators that are in short supply. So um, absolutely putting his money where his mouth is, and that will happen as soon as it can. Um, and then overnight, March 26, he actually added, making good progress, we'll do whatever is needed to help in these difficult times. So he's not alone. Ford and GM and various other auto manufacturers are working with healthcare specialists to produce this stuff. So I reckon that's absolutely fantastic. Well, at least he's yeah. helping, unlike, um, you know, Jeff Bezos, who's asking the public for money to help his Amazon fund. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, he's basically crowdfunding this sick leave for all of his delivery drivers because apparently his $113 uh, billion dollars doesn't cover it, plus obviously all the cash that Amazon, the company, is sitting on. On the face of it, that is a horrendous decision. That is awful. Yeah. All right, well, moving on also, Elon, to try and lighten the mood, just put out a tweet saying, fear the memosphere. Now, he, he is a guy who's pretty handy around a meme and he does enjoy them. And that predictably brought on a tsunami of memes, many of which I thought were very good. And people watching on YouTube will be able to see on the screen. Um, it's either IV or four in Roman numerals uh, says, quote, she wanted earrings made of the most precious commodity known to man. And what had actually been made was these little gold earrings with tiny toilet paper rolls made out of pearls, um, which are fan-fantastic. Um, Pranay Pathol said, Quentin Quarantino. And then someone followed up with Alex and Cigarette said, Elon Musk. So you have hilarious uh, memes of both of those. Um, Hubble Antares says, exactly, Norton antivirus. So he's got an antivirus CD over the nose and mouth. Uh, to protect him from this virus, which I thought was rather good too. And Ultramoto came out of the clouds with memes are the shit. Also, look at these brakes and just put up a shot of these brakes. I think it's off a racing car and they are monster carbon rotors. So I thought that was pretty random and quite funny. So people on YouTube will be able to see those. At the same time, on a slightly more serious note, um, Starlink continues to push out the satellites to bring the internet to the world. And there was some vision this week of a successful deployment of another 60 Starlink satellites. And a guy called Christian Perrier, obviously heir to the uh, water fortune, although I made that up, he actually says he's an astrophysics science type person, said a great success for the space industry, but a disaster for humankind. 
look what you do for research of near-Earth asteroids and, and what have you. And this is to say that the reflection from these satellites is allegedly upsetting um, uh, visible optical astronomy. And uh, Rasheen Amara said, are people still passing around that terrible Photoshop saying those are the satellites? Because uh, Christian had put up a photograph of the sky being ruined by these satellites passing across it. Newsflash, newsflash do you realise how many satellites are put into orbit just for all the various companies and there are abandoned satellites up there? Anyway, Christian said, unfortunately, this is real. I wish it was not. Here's another example. And then the, the whole thing just went on and on and on about whether the satellites were actually, the image was real. Um, these satellites in the early stage of separation, give them a few weeks and you'll have a clear sky. So it's up in the air as to what's actually real. But uh, anyway, there you go. And that we'll finish with the Tesla share price, which has bounced back in a reasonably big way. Tesla is now $528, a bit over, and it was $427 last week. So um, Coinspeaker, which is an investment-focused website in the States, says that Tesla's stock's rebound makes us believe that Tesla shares are now a good investment. So they've fallen off a high that was around $1,000 a share, then back to well under 500, now over 500. So against a trend, Tesla has started to make a comeback. I think so, it'd be interesting to see if that can last when people start to not be able to afford Teslas anymore. Yeah, maybe. That's true. Well, look, on that happy note, I think we've reached the uh, the finish line. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for having me for my and first thank you. time. It's great. And thank you, Tom. Thank you. And thanks to our production evangelist-in-chief, Mr Pritchard, for his nimble finger work on the dials and sliders. Today he's donned the third eye sunglasses, a muscle skin suit, which is not what you think it is, and grass flip-flops, which are exactly what you think they are. Um, all i got to say is how predictably unpredictable. Uh, please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an iTunes listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, what do you call a Ford towing another Ford? A Ford Fiesta. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Been working on that one for a while, eh? <laughs> ah, I thought it was some of my best work. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs>